guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a fantastic interview. I've got Stacey Rusky with me. Stacey is a true go-getter and badass. She's a fellow author, an Iraq veteran, and so much more. So it's a woman who has learned the importance of authenticity, basically being herself and has learned to love that person. However, you know, what's and all, basically. And that is what we are. We are, we are beings, we are yin and yang. We, are, we have got scars, we shouldn't hide them. We should show them with pride because if we have done it right, then these scars have led us to self-improvement and self-love. And that is what we're going to talk about here today. So Stacey, welcome to my show. Oh, thank you so much. It is such an honor to join you. I'm so excited for our chat today. Brilliant. And it's quite intriguing, Stacey, with many guests, uh, it is very clear there is one angle and I, I read that, I've got a hook in my mind and okay, so we, we're going to go out there, we catch up this audience in the first sentence. With you, there are so many things we could talk about. Bloody hell, bloody hell. Uh, so it is, it's hard. So, well, I guess we start with where... Many interviews start once upon a time. Uh, what did you want to be when you were 12 years old, when you were a little girl? Right. Isn't that funny? Start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start at the beginning. So it's funny. There, a lot changed for me by 12. You know, I think back to more of an innocent, more aligned and authentic time in my life before the age of nine, but especially around six. And I was that funny one who was the balance between the artist and the astronaut. Mm -hmm. So I, I was the kid that, you know, through, especially through puberty, instead of having the teen beat and the big bopper pictures, you know, the, the pictures of all the stars and everything on my wall, it was the topographical map of the moon. And I loved having a telescope. I was such Excellent. a science nerd as a kid. Like, I just loved big, expansive things. I think everyone always knew I was an old soul, <laughs> even as a child. Oh, beautiful. So how, how was school for you? With, with being such an old soul, sometimes you can run into trouble there because you don't really gel too much with the other teenagers, which we want to, want to talk uh, a mixture of makeup and, and boy bands. Um, how did that go with you? <laughs> Very true. Actually, I, I noticed early on, I gravitated more towards hanging out with the boys just because I didn't resonate with a lot of the girls. I see that a lot, especially with um, the women that I work with and myself being an alpha woman. Mm. Historically, we've gravitated towards more male-dominated hobbies, interests, things like that. So, you know, your science, technology, engineering, mathematics, your STEM stuff, you know, in school mm. um, and doing really well, you know, the getting good grades, it was really, really easy. But at the same time, I really struggled because I moved around a lot. Mm. We moved a, a lot. Plus there's, you know, home childhood trauma and stuff at home. So I learned to have absolutely no boundaries and a huge people pleaser. And so school oh. was actually, socially was very difficult because I so desperately wanted people to just, because I was so empathic and so sensitive. I just wanted people to be happy and I wanted people to like me and I was always helping others. And, um, you know, that backfired a lot. And I found with as much as I moved, I found an escape in just pretending to be someone else. So sometimes I was at a school in a house short enough that I could just kind of make up a version of myself and oh. not always be honest. And so, you know, it was kind of you know, thinking now with authenticity being so important that oh. there was a time where I was just a chronic liar, you know, in, in, in the imagination and sort of the fantasy sense. Well, in all fairness, if you wanted to become a spy or go into mm -hmm. military intelligence, that's probably quite a good start. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. So it <laughs> depends on how you dress those things up. But 
it's sometimes so hard. It's, it's amazing for me to imagine undercover agents that they live a different persona that often enough is so different from who they really are. And that's when I, when I listen to actors on, on, on shows, um, I often go to Armageddon, so the, the our version of Comic-Con, and I go there in order to listen to the actors to actually figure out how the hell do you do that? And it's amazing the way they can put this mask on and then take it off. So they would work. Uh, one guy was the real badass in, in the sense of the, the evil guy in the films. So here we, he was flying on a Monday um, to work uh, in L.A., would be this absolute evil guy. And then he would fly home and be this absolute lovely dad with lovely children and focus on family and a perfect husband. And it's this, this, this shot to me. And you think, what the hell? How can people do it? Now, they learned, or he learned, how to do that as part of his job. The problem, of course, is there are so many people out there who do that every day and don't realize that they are actually what they are doing. And what they are doing is actually not very beneficial for their own good, isn't it? Very true. And I, I mean, that's why I, I really lean so much into understanding the masks that we wear. Um, you know, building a lifetime of, of pretending to be who I should be in all of these different situations. And quite often, so many of the most highly successful people are just great at wearing the appropriate mask for the appropriate situation. <laughs> you know, the highest achievers and the yeah. highest performers. And that was myself. It was, you know, a lot of success and validation and approval through achievement. And, yeah. you know, kind of that same thing yeah. with the social stuff in school, just wear the mask appropriate to the situation. And to a certain degree, there is, you, you put yourself out there into situations where you had to conform where you couldn't necessarily be yourself taking the military. Um, yes, it would have been, uh, well, it would have been a challenge. When did you join the military? So I joined the army actually oh. in early 2001. And so it was basic training, yeah. all the schooling and everything. And then while I was home on leave before my first duty station, 9-11 happened. And so then it was just deployment, deployment, deployment. So. 2001, I'm just thinking about the role of, of women in military as far as combat and frontline is concerned. When did that change? That must have been somewhere around that time, wasn't it? A little bit after. Um, okay. Actually, yeah, technically we were a support unit. We were not supposed to be on the front lines and yeah. yet we were. So oh, we were oh, in exactly. combat situations regardless. Um, yeah. We were the first chemical unit in Iraq because we we were part of the initial force when we invaded um, in 2003. So yeah, Goodness. it was kind of interesting how things unfolded um, during, during that time. I mean, and I was 22 when I joined, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't 18 right out of high school. I had some time to build a life uh, as an adult or what I thought was adulting and then needed a change. <laughs> needed why, a change. Why, why did you choose the military? Why, what was, what, what's enticing you? So there's the practical side that there's a long history of military in my family. Hmm. Um, my dad was army reserves and then pretty much every generation prior. Um, and even both of my younger brothers ended up joining active duty army as well. The metaphysical side would say, again, kind of going back to the old soul, past lives, all of that juicy stuff that even at an early, early age, I just knew without a doubt, somehow, some way, even before I was old enough or wise enough to understand that somehow being in the military would be a part of my story. It would be a part of my journey. I didn't know when and I didn't know what that would look like, but even as a child, it was something I just knew. Which seems the, odd for a girl. <laughs> no, 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 not necessarily. Because remember, you you grew up in that background, in that um, the the vibes were there, the the sense of duty, the sense of honor, the sense of hearing 
positive things about the army, hearing the stories that you didn't even know you heard uh, by just your dad talking and things like that. So at an early stage, you were you were primed without your parents probably intending and without you actually knowing that you were about about that path. So it is what it is. So, yeah, some of it is programming, definitely. Uh, and how did that feel? I mean, you you were striving on on people pleasing. You was you were. How did that go? How did how did the various versions of Stacy deal with the military? In in many ways, really well because I'd moved around so much as a child, and I was used to creating a family out of my friend circles. So that worked out really, really well. I had such a beautiful tribe and community. And at the same time, I could see the other side where it was really craving um, structure and guidance and in a sense, a surrogate parent for where my parents lacked in parenting. And then as I worked my way through my career, which was only three years before I got hurt in Iraq and was medically discharged, but I could see where I was still searching for a strong father figure in some of the people that I related with and, mm-hmm. and really connected with during my time in the military. It's interesting when you say a strong father figure, if that you're referring to your own life now, mm-hmm. um, were, there, were there good leaders that were above you and that you could look up to and that you can model and learn from? Mm-hmm. Yes, there was, especially uh, Sergeant Major Varner. He was one of the people that I wrote about in um, an article that just came out recently on the five they, um, learning to survive and thrive during times of crisis and what my military experience taught me. And it was his leadership. And I definitely saw later in my own healing and recovery journey how he did fill that where I didn't realize at the time that's what I was looking for was you know that the guidance and support of a father figure and he definitely filled fit that during the time that we worked together and I really listened and I really paid attention to his leadership style to all the things how he worked and I'm like oh yeah I could see those are that's just one of those really amazing examples that in my life and one of those relationships that helped nurture me into being who I am today. And it's indeed, it's so intriguing that you're saying that. When I look back into my own life, I had a dad and a stepdad where I have to say that my values today are so different compared with the values that they believed were the right values. They, For them, it was truly trying to live the lives of, of actors, Tony Curtis, uh, all the, the you know the, the Rat Pack, this kind of area. That was what my my parents uh, strove to somehow emulate, so, somehow to be, and it was also false and so vain and 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 strange. So I it intrigues me and it touches touches a, a deep sore, I guess, in my heart that what you have just said with the, the looking for a father figure. And I certainly, nowadays, try to be a very different man and try to be someone that can be a leader. And it's interesting. Uh, It's interesting. Can you pinpoint why you liked this officer? What did he show you how a leader can function? The biggest thing was something that had shown up a lot throughout my lifetime was the people who were more concerned with their image. And so going with the flow, going with the crowd. So there's a lot of really amazing people out there who can 
rub people the wrong way very easily, who can be very triggering of others, right? And that is a lot of alpha people who uh, it, it's a natural type of confidence. And, and I will tell you, I mean, huge inner critic. I mean, my whole book's about the inner critic and my story recovering, you know, conquering that or yeah. transforming my relationship with that. But despite all of that, I never got along that much with people who just were all about uh, lovingly. I say the sheeple, you know, they just go with the crowd, go with the flow. And he was one who did not do that. He did not do that. So where everyone else in our unit had this preconceived notion of who I was based on what somebody else gossiped about me or some incident that I had or some trouble that it's like, well, yeah, but you know, not taking the time to actually get to know me. And they just want to put me on the outs and put me in a box and label me based on whatever fits because everyone else is doing the same thing. Excellent. Yeah. And he didn't do that. He will, he came in and I was actually assigned to be the Sergeant Major's driver out of nobody else wanted me. I was moved up to, yeah, up to operations. I don't even know why I was moved to operations, but then there, you know, when you're in these positions, um, you're also pulling double duty. So you also have to drive for all of the leadership and nobody else wanted me because of all of that story and all of the pre pre judgment. And that's what it is. The judgment that's not even theirs. And he didn't do that because he was also new to the unit, but that's just not who he is anyway. And he was all about getting to know me and just very nurturing and very understanding. And he just formed his opinion of everyone in his world based on his personal experience, not anybody else's opinion. And it was so amazing. And so that was where the, the switch flipped for me, even in my military career where I was ostracized and, you know, here I am the black sheep socially, the black sheep everywhere I've ever been. Here I go and join the military. Oh, look, I'm the black sheep again, because I don't want to play by anybody else's social rules. They're bullshit. I hate it. I just have always rejected that. (laughs) And so it's the same thing. I had the exact same challenge when I was a pharmaceutical chemist in corporate. I didn't want to play the juvenile social games of feeding people's egos and kissing someone's ass and Mm -hmm. being part of the gossip. That's just not who I am. And so that was really the big pivoting point, not only for me in my military career, but just understanding what it means to be a genuine, authentic, influential leader. Finding what is amazing in your team and nurturing that. Which is the most powerful thing to do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is, if you can work with that. Oh, beautiful, 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 beautiful. But again, there is there is the trauma inside of you and the frustration and the the negative sides that have changed you and that has formed you. You've had the pressure from the outside and probably more so from the inside, from yourself to 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 either make it or break it kind of thing. And and you made it by actually living up to the real you who you wanted to be, how there were a number of, of, of basically points in your life, which, which basically were catalysts for you. What do you think was the, the, the hugest catalyst? Where, what was the biggest insight for you to actually say, hang on, this is enough is enough. Let's let the, let's let the real Stacy out to play because <laughs> she is actually cool. Yeah. And that was it. It was just over five years ago, right at the end of 2014, I had my quintessential rock bottom moment. I had been spending, I mean, at that point, probably that few months prior, especially alcohol was the worst, but, you know, I had really spent a lot of time 
just numbing out and really avoiding my emotions and avoiding my power and avoiding my truth because I was wearing the mask and over time of wearing the mask of who I should be, the burden gets heavy. And at the same time, having undiagnosed post-traumatic stress and, you know, there's quite a few things just, I didn't understand what I was working with. I think that's the thing. It's not that the diagnosis was somehow a specific label for anything, but it's just, oh, okay. Now this is not just depression. This is not just anxiety. This is not just addiction. This is, oh, deeper, older stuff. So true, so So true. Sorry, go let no, me go. go we have we've jumped a little bit. I just realized, and I think it is important uh, for me and for the uh, for the viewers and listeners uh, to go back a moment in time. We were in in with you being in Iraq. You had your medical discharge. Um, the uh, you were injured. Are you happy to talk about the injury? Yeah, it's it's just herniated discs in my back is the the main thing. A couple yeah. other small things, a little traumatic brain injury, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> just these, little. Yeah, just a little. That's it. That's it. And the problem, of course, is these kind of things put quite a dampener into a life uh, for of uh, a woman who has defined herself to be in a male-dominated uh, uh, position uh, or, or environment, shall I say. Mm-hmm. And that can pull pretty much a rug from underneath you. How did you deal with the injury? How, how did that go? Actually, rather well. Um, I think in many ways, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. It was just, you know, I was at that place where I needed to make that decision. Do I commit to staying in the military? Do I start looking to transition out? Because it was right at just about a year ahead of, my time to get out anyway. Um, And so it was like, you know, it's, let's just, let's just get out. My husband was already, he had gotten out the, just before our unit left to go. Um, So it just made sense to get out and just the sort of navigating my health. Then I was a lot more like I am now, very positive and upbeat and it's fine. And, you know, just do what I need to do, do the physical therapy. It's good. Healed up well. It wasn't until I started doing more of the shoulds and adding to the mask that the effects of the trauma really started to catch up. You know, the, the physical stuff really was not that bad. I think compared, especially compared to many, you know, who've had very traumatic physical injuries. So, um, so yeah, it was more on that, the mental and emotional and spiritual spectrum. And that's it. I mean, that is when we talk about PTSD, it is a, it is a chameleon that shows itself in, in so many variations in our lives. And B, it's not a pissing contest. It is basically, there are some people who go through horrendous physical trauma and mentally they're okay. Yeah, fine. Fair enough. The, the truck rolled and I was under it. Yeah, so what? And get on with their life. Whilst other people are witnesses to a horrific incident which did not as actually affect them themselves yet the degree of mental upset and the degree of of ptsd can be life-changing and that is really so important so for all of you out there and i have met quite a few people who including myself actually where you think well that was not a big deal so you know you you can't have ptsd no, no way, no way. I'm not a soldier who was blown up. I'm not, I don't know, whatever image you have got. In, in reality, it is, no, it doesn't need to be horrific, gory, etc. It is just needs to be that your body at that moment in time, your mind felt that, oh my God, there's a real threat to my life. And that's it, take it from there. So guys, it's so beautiful to listen to Stacy because there is this, this confusion in one part of her story where you think, ah, oh, it's of anxiety. Are oh, you drinking too much? You're doing this. Where did the alcohol come in? 
when you said you, you after the injury you were sort of all right uh you yeah. dealt with it well but yeah. somehow a slippery slope occurred yeah. mm -hmm. how yes. and why so it is interesting and i mean just kind of piggybacking off of what you were talking about with post-traumatic stress especially is the thing that i discovered and and it really plays out between those who get post-traumatic stress disorder and those who don't especially when you think about people who experience the same event you know something really big a mass shooting yeah. uh, hurricane katrina you know just some sort of a big event and who gets it and who doesn't is the foundation is laid in childhood the framework is laid in childhood so it's really and that was my big discovery was it wasn't my time in the military it was actually my childhood trauma it was all of that stuff that laid my habit of coping methods so you know it was learning my first addiction was avoidance my first addiction was people pleasing my first addiction was you know getting approval and wearing the mask pretending to be yeah. you know whoever everybody would want me to be so i would get the love that i or what i thought was love yeah. as a child and so that was the stuff that laid the the, the foundation yeah. for how things played out over the next decade after getting out of the army mm -hmm. and so what it was is the more that i deviated from my truth the more i had to numb out the more i had to cope which all i had was unhealthy coping mm. with what i was experiencing deep down and how that was the life that i was leading and the choices that i were making were so disconnected from the soul of who i am the truth of who sure. i am sure. and it was always giving my power away in building this life of shoulds and so when i have my rock bottom moment in a sense i spent the last 10 years doing all the things you're supposed to do get the degree get married buy a house get a corporate job because it's safe have the nice cars make lots of money get the have the benefits you know all the things that are prescribed as again the shoulds to be successful quote unquote successful and i was miserable i hated it <laughs> i hated it. it was my prison was truly my prison, you know, so, you know, I look back, I mean, alcohol in terms of it being a problem, I don't, you know, there was a few times of like hard partying in the military, but I think there were so many other outlets and it was usually so social, it was very different. I don't think the alcohol really started turning into a major problem until after I bought the house, I have the corporate job. My health is progressively declining. And really my first big numb out was always with food. So at my rock bottom moment, I was a hundred pounds overweight. I was struggling with massive health issues. I mean, the, the herniated discs in my back were exacerbated by um, the weight. They were, I had autoimmune issues. I had all of these, you know, stress activated conditions and all of these things happening. And I'm just, numbing out with food, drugs, alcohol, prescription medication, television, social media, even at my worst, self-harm. Yeah. Just something to change how I was feeling in the moment, mm. right? The, another tool to just numb out and avoid because I couldn't handle what was really going on underneath. Mm. You have described in a few sentences the lives of so many of our viewers and listeners, including mine a wee while ago. And it is something that we all end up in if we, not if, until we hit that, that climax, or shall I say the bottom of the abyss, really, um, the, the absolute low where it is so uncomfortable that even the way we have numbed and tried to numb the pain does no longer work. And sometimes it is luckily due to the, the effect of others who see it far more than you can see it because you're, you're blinkered, you're in your own pity party, you're in your own pain and nothing, there is not, not a glimmer of hope, at least there was not in my life. And it is so weird. 
did you have the insight that things need to change yourself or was that because your husband maybe saw that you were on the slippery slope what was the catalyst what was what was happening um i mean he saw it a long time and he shared what he could but right trauma attracts trauma so we both came to our marriage you know what do you, what is it uh, a woman with daddy issues and a guy with mommy issues we do great together okay. you know dysfunction comes together and so it's been interesting but you know working with the toolkit he had yeah there were definitely a lot of times where he was voicing concern and doing what he could and then sometimes he was my biggest enabler you know it, it was both sides because of again his toolkit yeah. and but in my moments which was actually you know that beautiful blend of rock bottom moment mixed with highest most greatest divine clarity ever. Um, I'm standing in my kitchen and you said it beautifully, right? The, the tools we're using to numb out no longer work. And I was shoving food in my face from the cabinet, not even putting it in anything. I'm just pulling stuff out, <laughs> shoving it in my face, chasing it down with a bottle of booze, probably wine. Cause I was the, you know, one to two bottles. Like I was hiding bottles. Like it got bad. Like I was closet drinking, closet drinking. But it was fine because, right, especially for women and then corporate women, of yeah. course, have a glass or bottle of wine, uh -huh. whatever. It's wine. It's fine. You know, it's yeah. not like it's liquor. Uh -huh. But still chasing it and I'm bawling my eyes out. And in this moment of clarity, I thought, what am I doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to make myself look as ugly as I feel inside. And it was like, holy shit, I totally hate myself. I have no idea who I am and I hate it. That was that moment of clarity. It was just totally present for the first time, that level of present in my life that I probably had not had in years. And it was just amazing. And from there, it just went nuts. And I was like, okay. I'm done. I am so done. I am throwing in the towel. And I told my therapist, because thank God I was already in therapy for a couple of years at this point. Um, I said to her, I said, I'm done trying to control anything other than myself. And that, my friend, changed everything for me in 2015. I stepped up. I did a massive detox, uh, just like a physical cleanse, like a lot of juicing, like healthy eating, focused yeah. on myself. Yeah. I resigned from corporate. I mean, I was done because I went from health in shambles, marriage falling apart, you know, lost my career because of my health. And now 2015, over the course of that year, yeah. 180 everything in a year. And then started a business. <laughs> because I was like, wait, I can help people do this. This is naturally what I do anyway. Everybody comes to me with their problems. <laughs> oh, how cool is that? How cool yeah. is that? But it takes the rock bottom. It is, yeah. it's again, you are uh, part of a, of a band of brothers and sisters who have found the gutter and but you ended up lying on your back looking at the stars in the words of george Eliot, um i think it is beautiful beautiful to see your resolve now because you've 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 changed your life is your how did your marriage go after that because here you were enabling each other. So there was this codependency uh, amongst the two of you. And suddenly Hardcore, you, yes. <laughs> uh, and suddenly you are getting your shit together. And your mm -hmm. husband says, what the, what, what, what's happening now? How did that go? It was tough. We, uh, I mean, we, we are still together today. And, uh, you know, it's getting better every day. Yeah. And we're better now than we've been in a really long time. Yeah. But it is, it's hard. And, and I talk about this a lot, especially around, you know, boundaries, because all the people that I work with, all the women that come to me are really struggling on the boundaries front. And I leaned into it for myself. I am my first client, right? <laughs> Lead by example. And boundaries was a big thing. So when I went into it to begin with, I did not have a 
mentor or a coach. I had my therapist, but it's not the same. And so I really didn't have anyone guiding me in the process of creating healthy boundaries in a healthy way. It was still very much the high achiever, all or nothing mindset. So when I threw in the towel to focus on me, it was all on me. And so it was really, really hard. And it was hard as well when you do have these codependency cycles of enabling each other. Um, And so, yeah, it was really, really tough for quite a few years. You know, (laughs) it was probably that the first year. 2015 was the tough year. 2016 got better. By the end of 2016, I noticed where some of what the work that I was doing was starting to rub off on him and he was starting to be better. Isn't it? Because codependency, you're leaning on each other. And suddenly one person <laughs> says, actually, here's my boundary. I look after myself now. And this other person has the two choices. <laughs> or. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's an interesting one. And, and it's an interesting one because you're saying this journey for your husband as well. Because it is a journey. It's not just one inside. Oh, great. We change. Boom. And it doesn't work like that. New, no. new, 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 new. No. <laughs> oh, no. no. And it's it's very there's a lot of soul searching there and there are a lot of moments where you where you think oh my goodness and but what an exciting journey that is so guys if if you are just on this cusp if you are listening to that because you're ready to make a change just be aware that that a lot of things will change and amongst them relationships they often go through a bit of a nadir, through a bit of a, oh, that's so good, because it, everything is changing. It is the, this butterfly effect. You make the, the decision, okay, I look after myself and I draw the boundary here. And then suddenly things need to change around you because lives are different now. So it is cool. Just be aware of it, guys. It is what we say in, in recovery from alcohol. Uh, the only thing that changes in recovery is everything. And that's so true. <laughs> that's so true. When you stop drinking, when you start loving yourself, when you, when you start seeing what hurts you or what has hurt you in the past, deal with it and you deal with and you move on and you focus now on establishing the new you the you you start having those dreams that you turn into goals that you turn into visions and missions and passions it is an ongoing journey but how how does it change lives and how does it empower you this empowerment is this this feeling of wow I did that. Wow. And you're no longer hiding. You're no longer hiding there and, and, and hiding the bottles, hiding the fact that you were drunk, hiding the weight with, with 4XL large pullovers that you try to pull over all the wrong places and including your face for crying out loud. Yeah. So it is, it's all that. You suddenly change. You suddenly go out there and you, you become that new animal. And an animal, it's like a caged animal that suddenly is let free. And I see that in you, Stacey, for crying out loud. Here you are, this, this, this woman who suddenly has, has established the boundaries, has given herself the right to explode in her passion and in her teaching. And it's just amazing, absolute amazing. Thank you. Thank you. The story of five years now. The question is, where are you heading I mean, because mm. <laughs> the story, like yours, mine is, is only just beginning, I've got the feeling. Yes, yeah. I've come a long way in seven years of recovery, but hey, this is only the start. I have no idea what my path will bring me. Uh, so what about you? I mean, let's, let's look at you right now. You, you're helping people. Tell us a bit about the work that you're doing right now. Well, uh, now I am specifically working with, you know, a really highly performing, ambitious women founders and CEOs and that are just like me, you know, basically me a year or two ago that are, of course, they've been called intimidating and then I'm helping them step into their authentic and influential divine feminine alpha energy 
because, you know, we're great at being in that masculine energy, but we've got to balance it out with some feminine, you know, the, the beautiful, the flow and the ease and the authenticity and the vulnerability and the visibility to create the impact that they're called to make. And so I, I say the same thing. It's like unleashing their power because, you know, there's still some places they're disempowering themselves. They're still wearing the mask a little bit. You know, even though they're super highly successful, the way they've been, they got there is not how they're going to go to that next level. Isn't it? And many of these women will find themselves empty and, and confused. And whilst they are so powerful on the outside, there is still somewhere in there is the people pleaser. Somewhere mm -hmm. in there is the little girl that seeks validation. And it's so important to recognize that before it is too late, before mm -hmm. people rely too much on the destructive coping mechanisms that then cause the self-sabotage. That was certainly with me. Achieve, 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 achieve. Crash, burnout. Achieve, 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 boom. And it was always the same, the same stuff uh, through a long period of time because I did not take time for myself. And it is still something I need to learn today. Uh, it is this is a as a is a habit that I just love. I love to achieve. I love to be creative. I love to burn the candle on both ends, as so many other A-type personalities do. We 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 love to achieve. We love to create. But yeah, damn. So it is about balance. And that is really that foundation of what I teach or what I teach, because it's the same thing, right? When we are very much in that energy of creativity and creation and doing, but at the same time, we got to make sure we honor the vessel and do the things to nurture the relationship with ourselves. Cause that's the one we've got to nurture the most. That's how you take off the good girl or good boy mask. You know, and but at the same time, unleashing the rebel in a really beautiful way yep. and, you know, tap, tapping into the remaining power and potential. Got to have the balance. So important. Unleash the rebel. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, I know. I was like, oh, should I should I focus on hiring the rebel on uh, my next book or the authentic alpha? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it is ultimately. It is a variation of themes because it is being authentic. It is. It means to be a good leader means that you know your inner self, that you know what your own needs are, how to satisfy them, and how to work with your strengths and your weaknesses, how to harness your weaknesses and turn them into strengths, how to, to show leadership by showing integrity but you can only do so if you have that moral compass if you have aligned yourself in all your own principles and you know what you need and that is often missing so you have got leaders out there who strive to do their best 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 yet they they will never achieve it because there will be moments when everything falls apart and unfortunately, also in their leadership, it will fall apart at a crucial moment because the self-sabotage comes in because it is just so much easier to rely on the crutches, on, on all the other things. And I'm as guilty as charged here uh, when you were touching upon the weight here. Absolutely. I've, I've got my shit together in virtually every single bloody other thing. It's just the looking after my physical health and actually stopping the emotional eating. <laughs> being at a cupboard at 10 o'clock at night yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and uh, what's what's interesting though for like all of those beautiful qualities that you mentioned for that epic level of leadership there's a wall that blocks them us i know i worked through it but there's a wall that blocks them from reaching that next level of that amazing, that influential leadership, that level of confidence that inspires and elevates others. And the biggest symptom of that wall is control. And so I often say everything that you desire is on the other side of control. 
And so it's funny that it kind of goes back to that story where it's like, oh, okay, I'm done trying to control anything but myself in my rock bottom moment. And so it was really that insight that the wall that we keep around our hearts, right, from all the hurts and the traumas and all the things we've experienced. And that's where all those unhealthy habits and the imposter syndrome and the inner critic and the self-destructive behaviors lie in that wall. And all the awesome, authentic, amazing, powerful us is behind it. And the control piece, working on the control is the fastest way to dismantle that wall while also having healthy boundaries in place. Because that's why if we don't have boundaries in place with our relationship with ourselves, that's why we do the emotional eating. So why we go to the cupboard at 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) So true. Yeah. It's the little bit of internal self-parenting that we need, but the more also giving yourself honoring your inner rebel with constructive fun and play and free time. And if you give yourself that downtime, it's less likely to creep up as stress eating or other self-destructive behaviors. So true. So true. Yeah. The balance. Self-parenting with boundaries, <laughs> actually celebrating and scheduling in time to nurture your inner rebel. So I important. Absolutely love it. I love it. <laughs> and you've put it all in a book for crying out loud. See you guys. You didn't take need to take all the notes there that you have been. I uh, doubt people were sitting there writing things down. Oh, that's good. That's that's oh, that's good. That's good. So come on, show us your book. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because I'll yes. oh, be a boss and fire that bitch. Okay. Yes. I like that. I <laughs> quiet, like that. Quiet your inner critic and <laughs> finally believe you're good enough. Because uh, isn't that what we do? Is we numb out because that's the part of ourselves that we're, you know, feeding. If I don't feel so good true. enough, let me drown it with <sighs> everything else, pleasing other people or alcohol or food. Uh, or, yeah. Oh, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Uh, Stacey, if you have resonated with someone, oh, no doubt you will have, no doubt. If people want to get hold of you, how can they do that? The easiest place is to go to my hub, which is stacyraski.com. And then that will point you to all my amazing free resources or to my free Facebook community um, and all the socials. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And for you guys down there, uh, just have a look down there in the description of the, the podcast and the YouTube channel because uh, well, I've put all of Stacey's information in there. Okay. Stacey, it was so beautiful to talk to you. It was so lovely to see uh, your journey and to learn from you how you redefined yourself and transformed yourself into that new you that can now be a, a shining light for others who, especially those who are leaders at a very top level, and it's such a lonesome position, it's such a scary position, it's such a position where people are afraid to take, to, to show them the real self, because they have worked so hard to get up there. There's the fear that, you know, open up and, and that's it. They see my vulnerabilities and, oh, no, I can't do that. And often that means also to yourself. Oh, no, 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 I can't tell myself the vulnerability because otherwise, no, 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 no. And it's, it's so important to get that balance and to have someone like you holding the mirror in front of their face and actually say, look, that is what is happening right now. Can you see that? And chances are, they might have sensed it, but certainly not seen it. And that is that is so powerful what you're doing. Now, that is that is a wonderful, wonderful work you do. Stacey, I, I was honored to have you on my show. Are there any parting words for from you to either my audience or in fact, let's rephrase that. If you could send a message back in time to the younger you to the people pleaser and to, to, to the other Stacy, what would you send back? Ooh. <laughs> oh, you know, it, two, two key things. <laughs> no one gets in your way, but you, 
nothing, absolutely nothing ever stops you but you. Nobody else can do that. And you don't have to make it so hard. It's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, yeah, it was really, you know, I, I chose to make things way harder on myself than they needed to be. You know, the head trash and the stuff that I was not very nice to myself. And then on the other side where I learned self-love, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that was my choice. I made it everything way harder than it needed to be, not asking for help, sure. not, you know, making it all, I made it all so much harder. <laughs> no, There's always you. an easy button, but we've got to be willing to accept yeah. it. And it's, you only recognize it as the easy button once you have pressed it once and you have seen that you're not electrocuted by pressing the button, that you actually think, oh, huh. And it, the button can be fear, full of fear and fearsome and, and scary to press once until you have done it. Once you've done it and you've, again, it's that freedom I'm talking about. It it's that freedom that you suddenly think, wow, okay, it actually works. This is a new way of coping, a new way of leading, a new way of being. And that is so much more aligned with the real you. Uh, it's so cool. And, and the easy, oh, well, and the easy button, keep in mind the easy button too, is actually what seems like the hard work on the front end mm. because it's feeling. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the emotions. And that's, that's normally, that's normally what we talk in every other single interview I've ever done today. The emotions got a bit of a, of a, of a break, at least at the discussion about them. But I think we have, we have elucidated so many, many things that are important especially allowing yourself to yourself to take the mask off, recognizing what is the mask and trying to figure out who is the real you. Mm -hmm. Try to figure that out, guys. Who is the real you? And if you don't have an answer, then the question is, well, if you don't have a real you, why not create one? Why not create a you that you can be proud of? And is that you really standing with a bottle of wine in front of the chips in the, in the cupboard? Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yep, that was not the real me. And so now I let the real Stacy show up. That's right. And it was beautiful that you showed up on my show. I love that new Stacy. Thank you so much. It was an honor to interview you. And you Thank guys, you. absolutely. And you guys out there, look after yourself, make the most out of your life. You've only got one to live. Go out there, grab the bull by its horns and, and make right now, make a choice. When you've stopped listening to that, what will you do right now to make your life a little bit better? What? Well, just one choice, nothing big. It is one, one thing I want you to do right now to actually think, hmm, look after yourself, okay? Bye.